From Washington, this is the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, September 10th, and you're listening to the HPS Macrocast. I'm Brian DeAngelis, in for Tony Frado this week, and I'm here as always with John Fagan and Brendan Walsh from Market Policy Partners. Um, quite a busy week, guys. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, Biden's new plan to stop Delta, jobs, inflation, China, and I'm excited to uh, be hosting this week as we bring back one of our Good friends and regular macrocast guests, uh, John Dick of Civic Science, who help us break this all down from a consumer viewpoint as well. Um, but let's start with Biden's uh, bold new Delta plan. He came out uh, yesterday. Uh, I guess you could say the president is out of patience uh, with the unvaccinated, and we're moving away from carrots and we're moving towards sticks with a pretty aggressive plan to uh, really pressure companies to, to mandate vaccines or at least mandate testing to get, you know, folks, healthcare workers, et cetera, sort of back and really try to put a stop to the Delta spread. So um, I'm curious, I want to break this down both from kind of how people were feeling about this, but also what this might mean, you know, given the, the jobs reports of last month and, and other news. So, John Dick, maybe I'll I'll start with you. How are people, you know, feeling in general about Delta and return to work, and and what do you think this plan might do for this fall? Well, I mean, if you're going to give me an hour to answer, I can cover all of it. <laughs> I mean, uh, first of all, thanks for having me back. It's great to be be here. Um, look, so let's start with the obvious one. Is of course concerns about Delta are continuing to rise. That has, um, of course, you know, caused people to um, reconsider things like going back to work and companies having people come back to work. Um, But meanwhile, you've got like, and and also driving that has been just a growing level of dissatisfaction at work, particularly among young people. Since people started going back to the office, they were like, actually like working remote better anyway. So like some people, there's a lot of mixed feelings about it. Um, One of the things we're seeing now, it's kind of a new phase of it in our data. um, And it's a little bifurcated though, is you've got this new group of people who are historically, sorry about my dog, um, who are historically um, uh, uh, pro pro caution about COVID, and they are now like kind of burned out on it, right? They're like, "All right, I've been vaccinated, I've done my part, um, and now like it seems like it's going to go on forever." So I'm going to maybe go back to living my life a little bit more normally for now. Yeah, we saw a big excitement. I mean, just speaking about. DC uh, and and my little bubble, you saw a ton of excitement this summer, right? That it seemed like COVID was defeated. July 4th, you know, the president was on the de- cusp of declaring mission accomplished. You know, restaurants were reopening. People, I, I was buying concert tickets and getting back out there and feeling like if I'm vaccinated, I'm Superman and I'm great. And now Delta is kind of throwing that off. We're seeing more and more the idea that every company would come back after Labor Day. Now, Microsoft and a lot are like, let's let's put those plans on hold for a while. So, uh, yeah, and, 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 and I think you're touching on something that's important there, which is like people had started started to already accept like a return to normal. And it's kind of like they're not willing to let the rug get torn out from underneath them again, you know, right. and, 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 and we had seen like every metric we track in terms of how comfortable are you doing X right now? And X could be go to a restaurant, go to a concert, go to whatever. 
that how comfortably are you number had been declining pretty steadily since like mid-June as Delta started to emerge. And over the last couple of weeks, it started to, to kind of improve, which is ironic because there's nothing about the numbers that are improving. And, you know, people, I think, again, I think people just sort of feel like, well, I've done everything I was supposed to do. Um, I've played by the rules. And now it looks like this thing's interminable. So like, I'm not going to continue. And again, these aren't, this isn't an overwhelming number of people, but when we start to see a trend uptick like that, it's definitely yeah. Yeah. Do you think um, it's because they feel the business community is on their side, right? You're seeing more vaccine. You have to show your vaccination record if you want to get into the concert hall. You have to wear the mask if you want to go inside the restaurant, but we'll accommodate you outside. Like it does seem like our economy as well is adjusting for COVID's here for a while. So let's set up a system where we can accommodate folks and get people back here. I think there's some something to be said for that. Um, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what this Biden announcement yesterday does in ter- to that conf- to that confidence level, particularly about return to work. Um, and I know you want to spend some time on that, but I don't. Yeah. You know, we, we will. Um, if people start to feel safer about going back to work, then they may. Uh, well, I don't know because as people w- started going back to work in the spring and in the in the summer, what they, they were told to believe it was safer, but they were pretty unhappy about it. Like they, the, the, we're never going to put the toothpaste back in the tube about how much people like remote work, right? And right. and right. I, I think there's some people that like if I worked at Microsoft um, and they announced this week that they're not reopening their office, I would bet you the net the net reaction of Microsoft employees was a positive one. Yeah, I don't know that for sure, but that would that, the data would suggest that. Yeah. Brendan, John, let me let me pull you in here. What does this mean for kind of the macro job numbers? We had a disappointing August number. I, I think it's fair to say, but jobless claims are, are kind of still hitting pandemic lows. It doesn't seem like we're going to have another shutdown, massive, you know, folks leaving the workforce. What are you guys seeing? I think the um, this week we got the jobs and labor turnover survey, uh, and it was July, but it's still is indicative there there was uh, about 10.3 million job openings in america uh so it, it's not that employers aren't trying to hire it's uh, a lot of apparently people are not looking to go back to work <laughs> right right you see that changing uh with the enhanced unemployment benefits they, they expired i forget i want to say monday or something but yeah the, there really hasn't week. been any uh evidence that because uh, we've had uh, examples of states that have uh, eliminated it and yeah, it, they're it like 25 really states it's a lot yeah. of states yeah and uh it, it didn't really do anything it to uh, in terms of the the data to show that it uh either increased or decreased the uh the ability to hire so what do you make of uh not to force you to look into your crystal ball, but, but thinking of Biden's plan, right. And, and if we, it's going to take some time, I imagine, but if employers start mandating vaccines or testing, you know, do you see more folks returning to work, even in a virtual, even in a remote setting, do you think folks will get back into the workforce or is this going to actually backfire a little bit? Well, I I just got to wonder, like, I I feel like this is going to get caught up in, in courts and things like that. So, sure. well, well, we, we said we're doing it. It's really not going to be probably until 2022 before any of this starts to take hold. Yeah. There's also the, the sort of seasonal aspect. I don't want to make too much of this. It's pretty unscientific, but you know, back to work, the sort of doldrums of August and uh, the summer 
the hot, hazy, humid summer is not necessarily the most conducive season to, you know, getting <laughs> getting out right. there, pounding the pavement, looking for a job. You know, it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a huge surprise if people had put off some of those decisions about uh, about their job search until after Labor Day, until after, in a lot of cases, after their children went back to school, uh, after they were able to feel comfortable that their schools are going to be open pretty consistently. And, uh, and that's, that's a testable proposition at this point, you know, we'll see. And uh, there's a lot of noise in the numbers. The economists have said that we've seen very garbled data uh, on non-farm payrolls and, and other places as well. It's certainly not just the labor markets. So uh, this, this, it, the September, October and uh, November, back to school, back to work, you know, enhanced unemployment rolling off. Uh, that sort of crisp fall air time to get back out there. It's a little bit more motivating perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but also just naturally the Delta, the Delta wave isn't forever. You know, we've seen Delta crest in places like India. Uh, these waves are, are called waves for a reason because they go up and down. And, uh, and so some of the natural ebb and flow of the, of the pandemic may, may play into uh, the, the positive uh, tailwind here, hopefully over the next couple of months. Here's some, interesting, here's some interesting data we've got that like f- hot off the press because I just ran this over the overnight. Um, when we look at, you know, vaccine uptake and vaccine supporter opposition for vaccine mandates, vaccine uptake is significantly higher among people who work at companies with 100 more or more employees. Right. Meaning reticence and, and anti-vax sentiment yeah, is much higher. Like, yeah. Right. Like and yeah. so like there's a there's there's still going to be a massive wave of of non-vaccinated people that aren't going to be affected, even if this like you're right, Brandon, this is going to be caught up in, in courts for a long time. But even if it was a sweeping policy that existed tomorrow, you're still going to have a, like 50 percent of these people or more that work in smaller companies that aren't going to necessarily be affected by that. And if you think about where those companies are located, probably geographically and sociopolitically, they're not going to, they're not going to voluntarily institute mandates either. Right. Yeah. I I think you're going to get another two to 5% vaccinated because of this. So we might get ourselves up to 80, but I don't think we're ever going to do any better than that. Right. Yeah. Where do you and, think and that's I mean, felt the most? We... This is also a Democrat thing. I would imagine a lot of the unions are going to fight this. Well, you saw that in New York, right? For sure. Yeah. They, they kind of led the fight there. Um, where do you guys see this hitting most? I mean, my my gut is, right, it's going to be the service sector. It's going to be small businesses. It's going to be restaurants again where I'm just a little interested in the convergence of people want to get back to life. Right. They want to go out to eat. And then the ability to hire that, you know, vaccinated employee or if folks are just unwilling to go work with unvaccinated coworkers. I think you kind of answered your own question there, man. I mean, it's just going to be a it's going to be a mixed bag. Um, Yeah, Yeah, I think it just really depends on where you live. Like in the Northeast, we'll be at 90, 95 percent and the South will never be much more than 50 percent. And it doesn't necessarily affect your life one way or the other, other than the fact that if you're not vaccinated, you're a Petri dish for, for new variants. Right. So we just got to hope, uh, yeah. you know, this Lambda, which looks like the, the spread, uh, like the Delta did. Uh, I also think pause. there's, a, there's, a, there's also an interesting theory that we might run into, uh, we're going to see like a tribalization of the workforce through all of this because people are, 
you know, if my employer says I have to be vaccinated and I have mobility in my job and I don't want to be vaccinated, there's probably somewhere I can go that isn't going to require vaccination where I can work. Right. Like, I don't know how wide scale of that tribalization is going to happen, but I think it will. Um, and, and because particularly in that, you know, sub 100 employee thing, like at our company now, we're starting to see job candidates ask, like, what's vaccine policy there? Right. And clearly they're asking that because that's a determining factor in where they choose to go. Um, yeah. so think about how that plays out at scale. Yep. I, I think that's a great point. I think that probably played into to Biden's thinking as well. You've got to, somebody's going to kind of step in and set a floor for this and set a kind of standard across the economy. And it may get tied up in courts, but at least it gives a kind of even playing field among some of these larger employers. Um, but let's take, uh, let's take our first break there. I want to come back and uh, John Fagan and Brendan, I want to dive into kind of what this might mean more for the for the Fed and where we're seeing uh, some inflation concerns. So uh, we'll take a break. You're listening to the HBS Macrocast and we'll be right back. Markets Policy Partners provides sophisticated financial market analysis that is independent, accessible and actionable for a broad audience. Learn more at marketspolicy.com or visit them on Twitter at marketspolicy. And we're back on the HPS Macrocast. Brian DeAngelis here from Hamilton Place Strategies, subbing in for Tony Frado. And I'm here with John Fagan, Brendan Walsh, and our guest, John Dick of Civic Science. Um, John, Brendan, I want to kind of pivot that Biden conversation a little bit into what the Fed may be thinking. A lot of talk this week and a lot of expectation on tapering sort of starting soon. Does this bold Biden plan, if you will, uh, impact their thinking at all? Well, it's at this point with uh, with the plan still kind of the, the ink drying on it, the Fed is definitely in wait and see mode. And uh, we saw this basically broadcast by Fed Chair Powell at the virtual Jackson Hole symposium speech that he made at the end of August. There was a lot of sort of market participants holding their breath about that particular venue as a potential uh, to be where he unveils the plan uh, and the timeline for tapering asset purchases, aka quantitative easing or QE, which is sort of the first line of their withdrawal of accommodation. Uh, but uh, Fed Chair Powell stuck with the balanced line optimism in the medium term, but a lot of uncertainty in the near term and no hurry charting a cautious and gradual course uh, to beginning this taper of, uh, of asset purchases. And so then we got the, the non-farm payroll number for August, which was, yes. as, we, as we discussed last week, disappointing. And that basically took September the September Fed meeting off the table as the venue for announcement. And we've even seen some of the more prominent hawks on the FOMC, like Atlanta Fed President Bostic and even Dallas Fed President Kaplan, come out and say that this really does highlight some of the uncertainties and, you know, we don't have to be in a big rush. And uh, they, they're both kind of on the same page with, uh, with even the doves on the committee, which is it's certainly possible that taper might be appropriate later this year uh, they're they're more you know more committed to it uh, that premise mm-hmm. than uh, than obviously uh, the the doves like like uh, or the more dovish leaning um, folks on the committee but you know I think that we're going to see you know they want to see another few labor market reports uh, we've got some consequential economic data uh, uh, next week but uh, but certainly on the inflation front the Fed 
is pretty much unified in saying that they feel yeah. confident that the the substantial further progress toward the inflation mandate has been satisfied. And uh, so it's really the labor market that they're focused on. We got some yeah. uh, inflation data this morning, Brendan. What was that looking like? So it was the producer price index. Uh, so it's, you know, how much the people that make our goods uh, are able to sell things. And then, um, you know, the, the, the companies like Target decide how much uh, they sell it for. Uh, so the the producer prices have been going up a lot uh, it, since the we reopened the economy, and a lot of that has to do with chain issues. Uh, so the, the which it's normally up about 02 percent, uh, but that pushed it up to eight point three percent on an annual basis, and normally it would be in the two to three percent uh, range. And uh, a big part of it is is meats. Uh, so you know, uh, chicken and, and beef uh, are up a lot. And that is one that's being able to be passed on to the consumer. Um, well, John Dick, maybe I'll bring you not a lot of margin there. on that. So as the, you know, the grocery store, you have to charge it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point, Brendan. John, I'd love to bring you in there. What, what are consumers? I mean, they're starting to see these prices. They're seeing them at Target. They're seeing them on their, you know, whatever Costco runs for their, their meat, as Brendan said. Um, how are folks feeling kind of heading into the holiday season, the, you know, usually a big retail rush right around now, back to school, Halloween, then we get the Christmas season. What are folks, uh, what are you guys seeing in your numbers? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's interesting doing this sort of intermittently with you guys once a month or so, because we, you know, we talked a lot about inflation in the spring, and then it sort of seemed like it was old news by May or June. And it kind of was even with the consumer. And then over the last month and a half, we've started to see it. Like people are noticing it and feeling it and fearing it. Right now, mm-hmm. there's definitely still some political issues to that. Right. I think the politically conservative person is more worried about inflation because they don't trust the people in power to fix it. And that may affect spending in certain categories more than others, like, say, home improvement and, and, and elsewhere. Um, but look, at the end of the day let's just remember that the average consumer is still sitting on a lot more cash, right? Because largely because of some of the out, you know, um, the fallout of the pandemic money, they didn't spend last year money. They got in stimulus money that they, and you know, it's sort of like the, the double-edged sword of it is some of the reasons we have inflation are the reasons consumers can sort of support it or, or you know, at least absorb it. And, and so, um, you know, I, I get asked every minute of every day, like what I think the holiday season's going to look like. And what I know is people are going to spend a ton of money. Uh, what I don't know yet is what we don't know yet is where. And that's that's really you kind of need to be an epidemiologist to know the answer to that question, because it's going to have a lot to do with, um, you know, if, if COVID is raging, uh, we're going to see categories boom that we saw boom last year. Right. Categories like, um uh, you know, home electronics, home office, home decor, uh, uh, outdoor, those things will boom if COVID's still booming. If COVID slows back down again, we're going to see a lot of money in retail. We're going to see a lot of money in travel, right? Um, so, so it's a big question mark right now. But what we do know is I think while inflation is a concern, the average consumer is still pretty much able to support it or absorb it because they're, mon- they're financially better off than they were 18 months ago. Yeah, um, John Fagan I, and Brendan, you know, maybe this is a dumb question, but I want to ask it anyway. You know, at, at, to that last point about spending and folks are sitting on a lot of money, you know, at what point if COVID keeps raging, is there is there nothing to do with that money, right? You can only renovate your house so many times in a year. You can only buy, you don't need two Pelotons. Like, do we hit a point where consumers especially just start sitting on that cash because they can't 
you know, they can't find a place to spend it because COVID's just locking them down again. There's certainly been some muddiness in the retail sales data, the personal spending data as well, and consumer confidence gauges have been all over the place, really. And so there is a there is a sense that you know some of the some of the spending really can't be repurposed and uh, and repeated in the same way. Right. The, uh, we we saw a pretty last quarter had a pretty disappointing. Uh, Amazon uh, was a little bit disappointing. And uh, and some of these some of these other pandemic uh, spending categories have have suffered. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you're seeing a lot of money going into the stock market, into investments, mm-hmm. into assets. Uh, that's certainly been a that that's been a uh, an avenue, uh, an yeah. outlet, so to speak. <laughs> have you have you paid attention to the trading card market lately? Cards I that have were. Not, no. Yeah, cards that literally two years yeah. ago were worth, you know, a dollar are worth like $500 now. It, it, it's gone uh, parabolic. And it, I mean, I think it's entirely related to a bunch of people got a bunch of money. And they're and stuck at home and it's home. a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. You know, we are we are starting to see interesting things in some retail categories, though. Like I saw, like golf equipment is is the golf equipment sales. Um, I just saw yeah. numbers from the MPD group yesterday. Is like way down. Um, like certainly compared to way down compared to last year, like a little bit more right. on par with what they were in 2019. Because like those big categories, you only buy one set of golf clubs, yeah. right? It's not right. like and everybody bought them, <laughs> right? Everybody bought them. I think you're you might see that in some outdoor categories like kayaks and tents and stuff like that. You don't need to replenish those once a year. Right. Um, so we might say we might see shifts in other, you know, like accessories saying in ski, skiing accessories, for example, we might see something more positive. But um, yeah, like a lot of it's just sort of cycled through. We've spent all the money in the categories that we can. And even if I wanted to buy more another guitar, why would I? Well, maybe a guitar is a bad example. People yeah. Think. And you see that on the home renovation front, too. Right. I, I tried to get a deck repaired and you couldn't find lumber or contractor for a year. And then, you know, are we going to hit next summer? And I'm the only customer. Yes. That's, that's exactly, that's a really good point. The other, the flip side of this is availability. And yeah. uh, if you're, you, I'd love, you know, you'd love to put in a new pool We're that's not, we're not putting in a new pool, but, <laughs> you know, if, uh, if you, if you wanted to try something like that, good luck. You know, there are places where you can't get like the kayaks aren't in stock. We've talked about right. used cars uh, being depleted and so forth. It really is meaningful in, in certain areas of consumption. All right. Well, one, well, one thing that did slow home improvement through the summer was lumber prices that did get yeah. people to sort of like delay that. So that, that, that probably protract, it probably took some of the steep curve out of it, but it's just going to protract that people, people will start to do those projects again as lumber prices come back down. Right. right. And, this, and this circles back to the inflation issue, which is, Inflation, it's pretty clear from the data that inflation is really about supply bottlenecks, about disruption of the supply chain, about unavailability of products and unavailable of labor, large part because of the pandemic. And that is, it. you know, our higher interest rates are, is less monetary accommodation, really the right prescription for that. That's a, that's a challenging question. And uh, it's, is it, you know, is it fuel on the fire? Is it, uh, or is it just a totally in- inappropriate kind of mismatch of, uh, of of policy versus problem? And I think that that is uh, that's that's a debate for the fall. We still have to see a lot of data. We have to see how Delta plays out. But it'll be interesting to see how the Fed uh, how the Fed grapples with that. It's pretty clear that the Hawks on the committee 
don't aren't bothered by the fact that you know higher interest rates aren't the solution to bottlenecks. They want to you know they want to get on with that anyway uh, because of the expectations that they think that this you know however temporary this uh, surge in inflation is might be playing havoc with people's expectations, which they want to sit on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you're right. I think it's going to be a debate we we tackle all fall uh, on this show. But um, let's uh, let's take one more quick break. Um, I know there's a lot of news this week, but I want to come back and ask about uh, China and then uh, we'll wrap up. So you're listening to the Macrocast. We'll be right back. Our associates and analysts application is open. We are looking for current college seniors interested in economics, political science, or public policy to join us for a two-year leadership program with start dates in January, June, and September 2022. Apply today and work on the top debates and policy issues in tech, healthcare, energy, trade, and more. You can apply by visiting the careers page on our website at hamiltonplacestrategies.com slash careers. We're back on the HPS Macrocast. Um, John, Brendan, I, I want to just, a lot of news this week, but I did want to ask about China. And I think Biden um, made some inroads last night. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what you guys are, are tracking there. Yeah, we've been monitoring very closely the situation with the U.S., the Biden administration continuing the pressure that the Trump administration uh, applied to China on a variety of different fronts. And uh, and the Biden administration has uh, tightened up even on some of those. The the relations have been very frosty. And uh, we saw overnight the maybe a hint of a thaw that the Biden administration, President Biden reached out uh, and asked for a phone call that was granted. And President Xi and he talked for 90 minutes last night, according to the reports and yeah. uh, on the the the. It was characterized as constructive both by the White House and by Chinese state media. They emphasized different elements of the conversation, of course, uh, but there was a, a sense of perhaps uh, a ratcheting down of the tensions uh, of thought process that might go toward the where they can cooperate, like on climate change and some of these yeah. other areas of common ground that have been increasingly narrowing uh, over the past few years. This uh, I mean, first conversation really since the start February. of his presidency. Yeah. 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 They, they had a high level conversation in February and uh, the conversation, uh, the dialogue and engagement at the lower levels of the administration really hadn't gone anywhere. Those had been sort of notably right. testy. And uh, while this is happening, obviously, the Chinese government has been engaged in a campaign against its own private sector this regulatory, uh, this this regulatory offensive, so to speak, uh, that really is hitting tech companies the hardest, but really across the the spectrum of Chinese private sector companies. And so, overnight, we got kind of a, a an array of good news. Not just the the Biden Xi conversation, uh, which seemed to go to go well and uh, and prioritize putting relations back on the right track uh, but we also got uh some clarification the chinese government has been at pains to say that they're not you know cracking down as hard as perhaps the perception is on the private sector you know our our view on that is watch what they do not what they say right. um but uh, there was also some credit data that showed a bounce back in uh in chinese credit the, the expectation that Perhaps the People's Bank of China can loosen up a little bit on the liquidity and and make up some of these differences. And the heavily indebted 
and uh, beleaguered China a property developer Evergrande uh, was granted a, a leeway to renegotiate some of its interest payments, uh, forestalling the, the end game for the, for this <laughs> private sector debt bomb uh, that is ticking in uh, in China's property markets. Yeah, great. Um, well, certainly a lot more to come on that, I'm sure, as well in the, in the coming weeks. But um, Br- Brendan, why don't you help wrap us up? What, what are we looking for next week? Uh, we have a lot of industrial production uh, data from around the globe. Uh, we have a lot of consumer price inflation, both uh, here in America and China and also in Europe. And then the big one is uh, retail uh trade retail sales uh we get the the u.s number but we also get it for uh, most of europe and also china so there's a lot for uh policymakers to digest next week great great well uh exciting news for you guys i think i am back next week as well as uh mr frado continues his vacation um but as always uh, uh great to be with you guys great show um, I do want to end, uh, as, as I think most of our listeners know, tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of, of September 11th, a, a somber moment in our country's history. I know many of us have friends and families who, who probably lost someone close to them that day. And so we'll, we'll keep them in our thoughts here as the country steps back and, and reflects on that moment um, but we uh, appreciate all our listeners and everyone joining today. Special thanks to John and Brendan, as always, and especially John Dick for, for coming back on. Uh, you're listening to the HPS Macrocast. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis, and we'll be back with you again next week. Thank you for listening to the HPS Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share. 